Welcome to episode 26 of the Help Side Coaching Basketball Strategy and Analytics Podcast. My name is John Jansen, head men's basketball coach here at La Sierra University, located in Riverside, California. And I come to you right here after the Super Bowl. Focus of sports kind of shifts to basketball, and we hit, you know, March Madness coming up here in a month, as well as the heart of the NBA season. So today we're going to do our basketball roundup, talking about college and NBA basketball. In the analytics section, we're going to talk about sacrifice. And in the strategy session, we are going to talk about some some different types of presses. I got a listener email asking me to talk about the pros and cons of some different types of presses. So we're going to do a brief overview of that and kind of talk about the positives and negatives of those. So let's get right into it. I'm going to start first with the NBA. I'm going to talk about the Lakers, the Nets, and some other guys today with respect to the NBA. So talking about the Lakers first, obviously defending champs, off to a really nice start. I've really been impressed with LeBron, also terrified about how he's playing every game. He hasn't sat out one game yet, and it's just it's just a testament to how dedicated he is, how... Seriously, he takes his fitness and his health, and you know he feels like he owes it to the fans to get out there and play every single night. And he's still playing at a very high level. And you know, there's nights where Anthony Davis is, has just not played for rest. Several. I mean, Anthony Davis has been missing games all the time lately, and LeBron gets out there every night. And you know, you think to yourself, man, they're playing the Detroit Pistons who are tanking. They're playing OKC who's rebuilding, and these other teams and, and LeBron gets out there every night and, and puts in his work and it's it's really impressive. And look, I think there's a couple of reasons for it. Number one, like I said, he's in great health. Number two, he feels like he is he owes it to the fans. He owes it to basically basketball that he gets out there and, and, and he plays because he can, you know? And all these people that have done load management and not played, he's kind of the anti that. You know, he wants to get out there and play every game. And the other reason is, you know, they got a lot of new players, especially, you know, even in the starting lineup with Schroeder and Marcus Gasol. And I'm a little disappointed in both of those guys so far. You know, I didn't watch a ton of Marcus Gasol last year on Toronto, but I thought, you know, over the last few years, he's been really good. He's been a great passer, scorer, etc. I mean, he can't even move out there. I think he's averaging like four points a game. His passing's way down too. I mean, it's he just he looks old out there, and maybe that's why Toronto was not willing to re-sign him. Who knows? Maybe they saw this kind of coming, and the Lakers didn't because they only saw, you know, from afar. And then Schroeder has been okay, and maybe my expectations for him were too high. You know, last year I think he averaged nineteen points a game or something like that for OKC. But part of that is because he was probably the focal point of the offense. You know, they ran a lot of stuff through him, and, and he had the ball in his hands a lot. And now he's playing on a team where he's not having the ball in his hands a lot, and it's probably a little tougher for him because he doesn't have as many opportunities. And, you know, everyone shoots better and plays better when they have the ball all the time. And it's tough if you're, you know, kind of one of those spot-up guys and you have to be willing to make a shot when you get the ball or, or make, you know, take the ball to the rim when you, haven't, when you don't have it in your hands a lot. So I'm thinking part of the reason is LeBron wants to help these guys gel and 
And look, they're winning a lot of games, but I don't think they're anywhere near as good as they were last year to this point. And, you know, I, I think they hopefully will be, but I think that's a big reason also why LeBron's playing in all these games. The next team I want to talk about is the Nets. And obviously since we spoke last, I James Harden has been traded to the Nets. And I've watched them play a couple times, and I think they're a joke. I... I mean, they're they play no defense. They have no interest in playing defense. They use defense as their time to rest. These teams are just throwing up sixty point halves like it's nothing. And then on offense, they have no. They don't play basketball together. They have individuals who go one on one, individuals who don't care about anybody else except themselves, individuals that are there to stuff stats. And sure, yeah, they want to win, but winning is team basketball. And if we look at the last however many years, this one-on-one game wins, but it doesn't win championships, you know? And and you look at Kyrie, who's been a dribble-first guy, and he hasn't won except when he's been with LeBron. You look at James Harden, who hasn't won, dribble-first guy, and it's great. And you know what? They both have always had great stats, and they both have made a lot of money and have a lot of endorsements and that's great for them but if we're talking about winning a championship it doesn't win I don't think I can't think of any teams who have won championships running their entire offense through a guy through one point guard it doesn't work you need to play team basketball and even when you have superstars which NBA teams that win championships do have superstars they still share the ball they play as a team and, you know, the, the the name that jumps out is Steph Curry. You know, he's a superstar, but they played team basketball. They ran offense. They didn't just hand to Steph and he dribbles 25 times every possession. Yeah, he had some possessions where he did that. But the majority of the possessions, they played basketball as a team. And you look at these guys, Chris Paul, Lillard, uh, you know, Harden, Westbrook, who have the ball in their hands, and, and for the most part, Kyrie, I mean, with the exception of when he was with LeBron, and he didn't have the ball in his hands all the time, these guys don't win. And they don't realize it. And you look at this team now, and, and these team, these guys aren't playing for each other. They're not playing for the Nets. They're playing for themselves. And yes, they want to win a championship, but they want to do it their way. And this is a team that needs a veteran coach. This is a team that needs an experienced coach, and they don't have it. And so what you see on offense is Kyrie gets the ball, he dribbles around, and then he either shoots it or if he does or if he has a, a dish off to somebody else, then they shoot it. And then the next time down it's James Harden, he dribbles around for a while, and if he doesn't have it, then he dishes it, but he's most likely gonna shoot too. And Durant has been the one that seems to be deferring, but of course when he gets the ball, he's attacking as well. You know, he's the one who probably has the least amount to prove. And he's been the one that defers. And, and it's funny to me that it's James Harden who kind of goes and takes the ball and says, my team. And, you know, when it's a shot at the end of the quarter or end of a game, it's James Harden with the ball in his hands. And it's like, what have you done? Yeah, you've scored a lot of points, but he's won nothing. He's the one who hasn't won a championship. And yet he's the one who's kind of trying to make himself the alpha on this team. And he's also the newest one. You know, those guys were both on the team last year. And he walks in and just takes over. And I think that's kind of silly. And, again... It all, to me, goes back to the coaching and, and needing a veteran coach and someone who can manage these personalities and manage these 
egos and manage these guys that say, I have to have the ball in my hands. And I don't know if Steve Nash is the guy. And, you know, I watch him on the sideline and he looks like a guy who's never coached basketball before. He's jumping up and down. He's putting his hands on his head. He's like super, super emotional as far as the plays. Not the refereeing, but the plays. And Steve Kerr was like that his first year. But but even Steve Kerr, you know, he worked for a, for a TNT and he was going around. And he, you know, it's documented. He said, yeah, I was going around learning from all these coaches, learning how to put together an offense, learning how to, how to coach at this level, even though I was working as a broadcaster. Well, Steve Nash has spent the last couple of years on TNT and Bleacher Report doing soccer commentary. He hasn't been in basketball for the last couple of years. And then they just throw him into this team with probably some of the biggest egos in the NBA. And it's a joke. He shouldn't be on the sideline. And every time something happens, he turns and asks Mike D'Antoni what he should do. And it's like, this is the wrong guy for this team. Maybe he could take over a, a different team, but this is not the team for him because... He doesn't have the experience. He hasn't dealt with this as far as from a coaching perspective. And, and, and look, at this time, I don't think they're a contender. And maybe they'll figure it out. Maybe they'll start playing defense. Maybe they'll start sharing the ball. But the way they are playing now, and I've watched them play multiple times, what they do is they play no defense. They hope the other team misses. Or they have the role players. Those are the guys that need to play defense. And occasionally they'll play defense. But really, they, they're not there to play defense. And then they just try to say, okay, well, we've got three mega-talented players. We're just going to use their talent and try to beat you that way. They're not going to scheme. They're not going to run offense. They're not going to get other guys involved. They're just going to say, okay, Kyrie's better than your point guard, so we're going to let him beat him as much as he can. And James Harden is a better offensive player than your shooting guard is a defender, so we're going to let him go. And then Kevin Durant's a bit, and, and that's just not how you win. It's how you win games. It's not how you win championships. And... Like I said, it could all change by the time we get to the playoffs. But right now, I, I, I really think win or lose every game, they're an embarrassment to watch. And it, 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 it just isn't winning basketball, in my opinion. And then I want to talk about kind of the rest or the other guys, you know. And the Utah Jazz just had a 10-game winning streak. And nobody really cared. You know, they talk about it on broadcasts and stuff like that, but I didn't really care. I don't, I don't know how many people really cared. It's not like we're like, oh, wow, the Utah Jazz are a contender this year. Not really. And, and I would throw the Nuggets, Celtics, and then some of the kind of more mid-tier playoff teams like Indiana, Phoenix, San Antonio. They're all nice, and they're, they're nice, but I've always believed, and it's kind of been proven probably, that superstars win NBA championships. And if you have good players or all-star players, you can win a round. You can win two rounds. Maybe you can even get to a conference final. And, and really, really occasionally you can get to an NBA final. But for the most part, superstars win championships. And I know it's kind of counterintuitive to what I just said about the Nets. But I'm talking about superstars that play the game the right way. And I'm talking about the LeBrons, the Kobe's, the Shaq's, the... Duncans, Ginobili's, those guys, you know. Even you could put Nowitzki in that group because he, he won an MVP as well. Superstars win championships. And these other teams that are really nice stories and, and play hard and, and battle every year, they're always one superstar, like superstar away from being an actual contender. And, and that's just the way the NBA works. And, and, you know, you can watch 
these games and and you can watch you know I don't I don't watch any of the Stephen A Smith crap but I watch you know PTI and stuff like that and and they'll say oh you know the the uh, Celtics beat the Lakers I know they didn't but the Celtics beat the Lakers what does that mean and they all say well it means nothing it's January it means nothing it's February talk to me in June and so they're actually themselves devaluing the regular season but it's true because there's so many games a regular season win or loss doesn't really matter because all you're doing is 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 seeding. And so when these teams go on 10-game winning streaks and you look at their roster and you say, that's a really good roster, but is it the kind of roster that, you know, is it a Detroit Pistons the year they won it, you know, with with uh, the Wallace brothers and Chauncey Billups, like one of those teams where you didn't have a mega superstar, but you had just a really, really great roster with a lot of really, really good players? Probably not, you know, and, and it's really interesting to think about basketball that way. Um, but it's kind of how it is, you know, and I don't know there's a way for it to change because when these superstars come on the floor, they're so much better than everybody else. I mean, if you look at LeBron, you could probably put him on any team in the NBA and they would probably make the playoffs. And if you put him on any besides like the couple worst, they would probably be middle, middle of the pack playoff teams or even higher. And it's crazy that one player and, and, you know, there's other guys that have that kind of effect can, can affect a team that much, but it's really how it is. Moving on to the college level, I'm going to talk for a minute about my team. Uh, they pushed our season back yet again. Uh, we were supposed to start our conference in February. Now they're pushing it back to March. And it's very disappointing, obviously. Uh, we've been practicing since October 5th. We played two games, and we've had one positive test in all that time. And that positive test was someone coming back from Christmas break. They never even it was before we got tested before we came back to practice. So that player never interacted with our team. So he never brought COVID to our team, and he never had any symptoms. So he doesn't even know if he really had it. But you know, he got a, he had a positive test. So he stayed home for ten days. Nobody else got it, and and we were fine. And you know, it's, it's frustrating, and, and we're going to hopefully start in March. But of 11 teams in our conference, all but four now have opted out. So even if we do play, we're playing in a four-team conference. And I feel really, really bad for my players. You know, we don't have full scholarships here. We don't have scholarships at all, really. So all these guys are coming out of pocket. And... They're doing that for the opportunity to play college basketball. Make no mistake about it. I mean, they're here to play basketball. And they're losing that opportunity because of COVID. And I feel really bad for them. And, and I, I hope we get to play. And I hope that they can get, you know, quote unquote, their money's worth. Because they put in so much time. You know, we go hard in practice every day since October. You know, we're, I mean, everybody's bored of practicing. We're ready to play games. And... They just keep pushing us back and pushing us back. And and because, you know, part of the frustrating part is because, you know, we don't have scholarships. These guys, if they had canceled the season, could have gotten jobs, you know, done other things, focused on schoolwork. Our school gives scholarship money for for grades. Things like that that could have bettered their, their life if we weren't going to play anyway. And now here we are, and these guys feel like we've wasted all these months. You know, we have... You know, on the girls' team, it's a really crazy story. There's a girl who's from Brazil, and she didn't get to go home 
last year. Uh, and she stayed here, and then she stayed again over Christmas break because they thought they were going to have some games right after Christmas. So she hasn't been home in over, in, I think, a year and a half now. And she has, and the girls have played zero games. We played two, the girls have played zero. So this girl's been here for a year and a half away from her family, basically all summer in isolation in the dorm on campus and hasn't played one game yet. And she's very, very depressed and, and they're worried about her. And so, you know, it's frustrating for everybody. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that we can all get out there and get some games in before the end of the year. Talking about college basketball at the NCAA level, I had the opportunity to watch Baylor play last week. They played Texas. I actually broke down. We have a YouTube channel. It's called The Help Side. If you go to YouTube, I break down plays and kind of talk about what teams did right, what teams did wrong, what I think teams could do better. And it's called The Film Room. And I think it's a great way for me and for those who watch to kind of see plays and kind of test yourself as to what the right move should be in each situation, what the wrong move was or what the right move was or whatever the case may be. And I'm going to keep adding to that. And I think it's a good tool to kind of work on kind of breaking down and being able to see the game a little bit better. Anyway, I, I broke down a play from Baylor on there. So what I really like about them is they play defense really hard. They're nasty. They're physical without fouling. I mean, they just play hard-nosed defense, and it's fantastic. And on top of that, they box out. And I've mentioned it before. A lot of Division One teams don't box out. You know, I heard John Calipari say years ago, he doesn't teach his team to box out. He says, you're athletic, go get the ball. And I've always thought, yeah, what if you're athletic and you box out and then go get the ball? I mean, you're... You're taking away the space that those guys could occupy by boxing out for just a half second and then going to get the ball. And they do that. And they fly around the court on defense. I mean, absolutely fly. And their bigs can move too. So if they have to switch, it's no problem. And they're just swarmed to the ball and they rebound and they go. And it's just, it's fantastic to watch. And on the offensive end, they can shoot. I think I saw during that game, they said they shoot like 47% as a team, which is ridiculous. From three, they attack the basket. They've got this guy Mitchell who can score from three, can attack, he can make plays. I mean, they got other guys who are attacking, and they got guys who can shoot it. I mean, it's just, it's really, really a fun team to watch because they play hard and they play nasty and they're talented. And, and you know, obviously, saying this about a top two or top one team in the country isn't saying anything, but. I really think that they have a great chance to win the, the whole thing just because of how tough they play. And then when you look around the country, you know, it's a different year. You have Duke is down, North Carolina's down, Kansas is down, Kentucky's way down. I mean, I heard that Kansas was out of the top 25 for the first time in 12 years. Kentucky's like 5 and 12. And for me, it's a little disappointing. I'm a guy who likes to see the Goliaths of a sport go at each other. You know, I love watching, like, Champions League soccer. I love watching, you know, Lakers play, Clippers, you know, whatever. I love watching the Giants, Duke, North Carolina, go at each other when they're good. It's fun for me. I want to see who the best is. I want to see who the best of the best is. And that's, my, that's the one drawback for me for the NCAA March Madness tournament is when you get these upsets, you sometimes miss out on seeing 
great teams play other great teams. And you say, well, they lost. Yeah, they did. But if you played you know, that upset game 10 times, the favorite team is probably going to win 8 or 9 out of 10 or 95 out of 100 or 98 out of 100. And sometimes they lose that tiny percentage. And then you have missed an opportunity to see two great teams play against each other because of one 40-minute span where this one team didn't have their best day or this other team played out of their minds. And then you maybe get this Cinderella team that makes it to a Final Four, and then you they do play one of these juggernaut teams, and they lose by 30, and you have like a waste of a game because they never really had a chance, you know, because they probably shouldn't have been there. You know, I mean, if you think about it, should an 11 seed be the national champion of basketball? We're trying to crown the best team. Well, that's not going to crown the best team. A team that went 20 and 12 is not the best team in America. It's a team that won six games in a row. So I love seeing these big teams go at each other and even teams who hate those teams. And people definitely hate all those teams I just named. Well, you get to see them possibly lose in the tournament or lose in their, in their, uh, in their conference tournament, you know? So having those teams down kind of makes it not as fun for me and probably for other people, but it also opens up more spots in the final four spots in the elite, you know, spots in the tournament and probably a a national champion that's different than we've seen for the most part in the last few years. You know, we haven't seen a Baylor win it. We haven't seen a Gonzaga win it, you know, and some of these other teams, you know, last year, of course, San Diego state had a great chance. And, and, and so, and they lost out because of COVID, but, if they can get to this bubble and get it done properly like the NBA did, then maybe we'll see some different teams in there. And and while it isn't my favorite, I understand that people want to see different teams. I love watching Clemson play Alabama every year. People get bored of it. I think it's great. I want to see these great teams go back and forth. So that's just my opinion, but it's going to definitely be look different this year when we get to, to March. Moving to the analytics section, I want to talk about sacrifice. And I know that it's not analytics, but... I heard someone talking about sacrifice and I kind of wanted to elaborate on it. And I'm going to talk about it first from the perspective of a player. And the question you can ask your players about sacrificing is, what are you willing to get up? Sorry, what are you willing to give up to achieve your goals, to get where you want to be? Is it hanging out with your friends? Is it partying? Is it video games? For some people... It's a normal life. If you think about guys like Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, I mean, what did they sacrifice to become the best at their sport? There's an old story, and who knows if it's even true, but Michael Jordan one night, his friends said they want to go to the movies or something, and he was in high school. And he said, I can't. I got to make 10 free throws in a row first. And it took him all night, or it took him late into the night, and he finally made his 10 free throws in a row, and he went home, and he missed going to the movies with his friends. But then the next night, he, it was, he did the 10 free throws faster and then faster and then faster. And, and because he didn't, you know, he sacrificed. He didn't give in and go to the movies with his friends. He, he sacrificed and stayed there late at night until he said, I'm not going to leave here until I get this done. You know, I have players on my team who tell me they want to play overseas. They go, coach, can you help me get overseas? And I say, yeah, I'll do everything I can. I know some people. Let's try to get you overseas. And then I say, okay to my team, I say, okay, tomorrow, an hour before practice, we're going to have non-mandatory weight room. And nobody shows up. Or two guys show up, and it's not those guys who tell me they want to play overseas. And I think to myself, are you willing to sacrifice 
to get what you want, it doesn't seem like it. If you're not willing to, to be a pro, and I was a pro for years, I played overseas, and the sacrifice you have to give is everything. Because if you don't, then they'll find somebody else. And I, you know, when I went down to South America and played in Uruguay, I took over for another American. They sent him home because he wasn't good enough. And I don't know what his sacrifice was, and that's not the point. The point is that if you aren't good enough, they will send you home. If you're not willing to sacrifice, if you're not willing to put in everything you got, maybe the results won't be there. Maybe if you're LeBron James, yeah. But I know LeBron James has sacrificed. So as a player, you know, you can talk to your players. Are you willing to sacrifice to achieve your goals? If you're on the bench and you come talk to me and you say, Coach, I think I should be playing more. Are you getting to the gym every day early and getting shots up? Are you working on your ball handling? Are you working on your quickness? Are you running suicides by yourself? Are you in the weight room? Are you coming in and meeting with the coach and looking at film with the coach? Well, if you're not, then you're not sacrificing. You're just saying, hey, coach, I think I should play more because I want to play more. You're not earning it. You're not sacrificing. And the same thing goes for coaches. It doesn't matter to me if you're a volunteer, part-time, full-time. Everybody says, I want to be a head coach. For sure. It's great. It's the best thing there is. But what are you willing to sacrifice to get there? I was a part-time coach several places. I volunteered one year. And to me, I just said, I'm just going to treat this like I'm a full-time coach. You know? I'm going to sacrifice my time. I'm going to buy in. I'm going to be all in. I'm going to be there for meetings. I'm going to be there for workouts. I'm going to be there for weight room. I'm going to be there for practice. I'm going to be there with coaches' meetings. I'm going to be there for film. Every single thing we're doing, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to sacrifice my time. I'm going to sacrifice everything because maybe one day it'll pay off. Because I want that coach to know that I'm all in with him. And maybe someday he'll write me a letter, recommendation, he'll make a phone call. Or maybe he'll have a job open up. You know, if you want to be a Division I coach, a lot of people start as volunteers. A lot of people. You know, if you're not a former player or you're not connected in some way and you're just trying to get in the business, you start as a, as a volunteer. And then maybe a year or two or three or four, one of the assistant coach leaves and takes another job. Maybe he takes a head coaching job somewhere else. Maybe he takes a high school job. Maybe it's just a, maybe, maybe somebody else hires him as their assistant. And now that coach has a, has a void. Now maybe you won't take that void, but maybe they'll bump the next guy up. They'll bump the next guy up. They'll bump the next guy up. And now here you are. And now the bottom assistant, paid assistant coach spot is available. Is he going to hire you? Does he now want to pay you money to be his assistant coach? Well, that depends on what you did while you were a volunteer. Did you show up every day for every single thing that I just mentioned? Were you all in? Were you listening? Were you attentive? Did you buy into his program? Did you develop rapport with the players, with the other coaches? Well, then maybe he'll give you a chance. Maybe he'll, he'll, he'll hire you as an assistant coach. But if you showed up for practice 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes before, and after practice you went home, well, that's not sacrificing. That's just being a guy who shows up for practice. That's a guy who's just like, yeah, I'm going to tell my friends that I'm assistant coach here. But really... You have no part. He's not going to let you make decisions. He's not going to turn to you when he needs help because you're not there for everything. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. 
So what are you willing to sacrifice to achieve your goals? I know that right now as a head coach, the sacrifice is even more because there is no one else, right? If one of my assistants coach calls me and goes, coach, I can't make it today. Coach, something else is important. Well, I can't do that. I have to be there. I can't say I don't feel like it today or something came up today because those guys are going to show up and expect me to be there. So I have to sacrifice my time. When we're on the road, we play a game on Thursday night on the road. We start, we start our games at 8 o'clock. Game's over by 9.30, 9.45, 10 o'clock. We're in the van by 10.15. We take them to get some food. Order the food. Take it to the hotel. Kind of talk to them. Tell them talk, okay, we got breakfast at this time. Whatever the schedule is for the next day. And then the next morning, I'm going to have to drive to the next location for our next game. Sometimes it's several hours away. One of them, I think, is like five or six in our conference. So by the time I get all the guys set, you know, I got to throw the laundry in. I got to eat too, probably. Well, tomorrow we're going to wake up in the morning. We're going to eat breakfast. We're going to get in the, in the vans. We're going to drive to the other place, check into the hotel. And then... We've got practice. Maybe we have an hour, hour and a half of free time, and then we got practice. Well, before we practice, we need to be able to show these guys, number one, about the other team that we're going to be playing Saturday, but I've probably already done that. But what about how we can get better from the game last night, to the game we just played? So now, at midnight, when I'm finally done with all my responsibilities, Who's going to clip up the film for, for film the next day? I am. And sometimes I'm up till 2, 3, 4 in the morning, and I know i got to drive 6 hours the next day. But the, the film has to get done. That's a sacrifice that you make as a head coach. You can't just say, guys, I was too tired. There's no film today. We'll talk about it later. Because they need to know so we can walk through it on the floor the next day at practice. So we can talk about it at practice. What we did, clean up some things. That's the sacrifice you make as a head coach. Sometimes you don't get to go to bed till two, three, four in the morning. I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting here on my computer hours into the night and I'm thinking, what am I doing? Well, you have to, that's the job. It's the sacrifice. And I know for a fact that if I wasn't willing to do that sacrifice, then I wouldn't be here as this coach right now because they would have picked somebody else who would have. So if you're not willing to sacrifice your life big parts of your life to do this job, then you shouldn't do this job. Or maybe, you, you know, coach at a different level or, or, or something like something like that. A, more of a fun team, you know? So anyway, the sacrifice never stops. You know, I, I've listened and I really highly recommend if, if coaches speak, you try and listen to these big Division One coaches or any coach speak. And they just talk to you about how much time and sacrifice it takes to do this. You know, if you ever have an opportunity for a question and answer session with a division one head coach, because I think someone asked, I saw Jim Beeline speak one time and he asked, and someone asked, what's your day like? And he's like, I'm up at 5 a.m. And I'm writing out a practice plan. And it was hilarious to listen to him talk about his practice plan because he makes, it, it must've been four different versions of the same day's practice plan. As he just makes one in the morning, then he gets to work, he looks at it again, revises it, then he meets with his staff, they look at it, they revise it even more, 
and then they wait till the afternoon. They come back for one more meeting before practice, and they revise it even more, and then they take that practice plan and take it to practice. It's like, wow, just for a practice plan. And that's just one tiny little part of being a coach at the college level. What are you willing to give up to achieve your goals is what you have to think about. And finally, the last thing I want to talk about is presses. And like I said, I got a, a, a listener email and he asked about presses and different presses and, and what's good and you know what the good one, you know, what's good about each press and what's bad about each press. And I'm gonna talk about it. And he coaches a younger team. And I think that the younger the team you coach, the more beneficial a press is. Like I like like you see in the NBA, nobody presses. And it's because the players are too good. They're too fast, they're too smart, they can see the floor. They can make great passes, and so you can't really press. And even if you look at college basketball, there's few teams who press. And some of them, you know, of course, Louisville comes to mind, have had success pressing. West Virginia. But those are just, you know, there's 350 Division I teams. How many of them are pressing full court all the time? A handful? 20? Who knows? Not very many. So the younger of age you coach and the less skilled the players are the more effective in my opinion a press it can be so the first press I want to talk about is a 2-2-1 and it's the kind of press we run and it's it's a passive press and I really like it because it does a couple things number one it slows down the offense uh, it makes them walk the ball up because we're not going to just trap them and attack them we're going to wait for them to come to us. And so when you go and attack them, well, they have to go pass, 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 and now there's either a turnover or they're in the front court and, and something's happening. But with ours, it's a slow press. And they walk it up because we're not attacking them. We're waiting for them to make a mistake. And by doing that, we're hoping that what we hope is that they put their head down and dribble into one of our traps. And I think at this level, if you go run at a guy with two guys, a good player is either A, going to dribble through it because he's too fast, or B, he's going to see the floor, his, his teammates are going to get to open space, and they're going to make a pass and get out of it. So that's why I'm not a huge fan of aggressive press. So I want him to go, oh my man, I only have five seconds left on shot clock. And so we kind of funnel them into a trap. And then when he puts his head down and decides, okay, I got to go, that's when we trap him. Because it's, I think it's much harder when a guy is kind of committed to dribbling for him to make a pass. And so if we can get two guys to that guy while he's committed to dribbling, I think we'll have much more success. So what we try to do is we try to funnel them to the sideline with the two front guys. And then, of course, we bring the weak side guys to the middle and we try to funnel them to the half court line. And I don't really, I, of course we'd rather have them cross the half court, but we really don't mind if we get a trap right there in that corner on the other side of half court, that's okay. And the guy in the back has to be probably your most athletic player while also potentially being your rim protector because if they break it, it's gonna be a two on one or three on two with that guy at the back. But he's gotta be able to get to sideline to sideline and make those steals because when you trap when you press and you've covered that middle and the guy has no one to pass to, he's gonna look straight up the floor to his guy down the lane 
down the sideline. And that back guy has to be able to cheat over and get that steal. And that's where we get a lot of our steals and we also get them from a pass back. So the pros of this, again, it slows down the offense. There is potential for steals. You know, when we ran it, I, I ran it a ton at, at the high school to club level. Again, at a lower level, it works better. And a lot of times we would go back into a zone. You can go back into a man from it. It's a little bit harder. But you go back to into a zone, and so now you're switching your defense on these guys. You know, if you're a man team, now you're running this press. You're back into a, a zone, which is which is something different, a different look for them. So what I would do a lot of the times is I would, I would wait till the second half and I don't want to give away too much of what I do here, but I would wait till the second half and look, no press is perfect. Every press is beatable. And so I felt like if I pressed the whole game, then number one, they would have so many more opportunities to see the press and start to pick it apart. And number two, at halftime, they would have time for the coaches to go and look at it and, and, and adjust to what they saw in the first half. So I'd like to wait to the second half to give the coaches, you know, one minute here and there during timeouts to adjust to it. And, you know, we had some, we have had some good success with it. It definitely works better on some teams than others. And, that kind of flows into the cons. The cons is you can give up threes. You know, if, if they beat it, corners are going to be open, could get some threes. You could also give up layup. If they can get the ball to middle and they can attack, I mean, you're going to have some two-on-ones. And you got to have your guys sprinting back to try to recover and get back as quick as you can. And the final con, I think, is, you know, I think there is a way to beat it. And I, and I know what that is, and I'm definitely not going to talk about that right now. But, you know... If a team comes out and they beat it a bunch of times, and I'll just pull it off, and I'll be like, you know what, this team figured it out. It's okay. We'll do something else. You know, it's not a big deal. You know, we you're kind of trying to pick on teams that aren't prepared for it or that have weaker guards that aren't that don't see the floor really well. You know, and this is again why, as you move up in level, it's harder to press because good players will be able to beat these kind of things with either speed or you know good basketball savvy and, and move the ball. And another, you know, another con of this press and all presses is they take a lot of work. You know, you can't just throw a press on and run out to a game and 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 do it. You got to practice it and practice it and practice it, or else they'll pick it apart. Because it's much easier to beat a press than to run a press. Because when because there's so much space, especially if you're double teaming or trapping. Well, now after the trap, you're three against four, so someone is guaranteed to be open. So. It's a lot easier to beat it if you don't have a good press or if guys don't rotate or whatever the case may be. So it takes a lot of work and a lot of time. And actually this year we didn't put it in yet because we are so limited on time. You know, our, our, you know I usually practice three hours and this year we're, we're stuck at two. And so I haven't, I haven't actually put it in this year because we, we just have so much other, other important things to do. The next press I want to talk about is the trapping press. And we do have this, but we don't use it a lot. We use it usually at the very end of games if we need to try to get a couple quick steals. And I think that's a good way to do it effectively is if you're, you know, because you can get a couple quick steals, but I think over the course of a game, good teams will, will pick it apart. So if, you know, you're down with two minutes to go and you're down eight or something like that and you just 
get up and you try to get a steal and get a bucket or a steal and a three and maybe try to panic the other team and get some and get some quick points. You know, look, presses work on bad teams and they don't work as well on good teams. I, I That's my personal opinion. So you're just trying to fluster them or trick them or catch them off guard with a, with a trapping press and you got to rotate really fast. And if you do, you can get some steals for sure. And, you know, I, I think a, a trapping press only works for a small amount of time. Now, there's some teams, especially at the high school level and below, that will press you the whole game. And they'll get steals the whole game. But that's because the, the offensive players aren't as good. They're small. They're not strong enough to get through a trap. They're not fast enough. They can't see the floor. All these things. And so you can press. And I would, if I was coaching a young team again, I would press for sure. I don't know. I'd have to look at my personnel if I would trap or do my two-two-one. But I would definitely, I would definitely press. You know, before I was, you know, coaching at college level, I was coaching uh, a long time ago, seventh and eighth grade club team, and uh, we had one kid who was just way bigger and more athletic than everybody, and we ran the two-two-one press, and we put him on the second line, and this guy just got steal after steal after steal because he was just better than everybody else. So, you know, these kids couldn't throw it over his head; they weren't strong enough. We would get a good enough trap on the ball that they kind of just would throw the ball up and he would just play center field and just pick off balls all day long. And so I think the lower the level you are, the more I would press for sure. Um, and as I said, you know, the higher the level you get, the less there's pressing. And then the last press that I'm going to talk about is a run and jump press. And I like a run and jump press because it disrupts the team's offense and if it's done and practiced, it, you can get some steals for sure. You know, what you want to do is you want to usher the guy, usually to the right-hand side of the floor. You let him dribble to the right. And then as he crosses half court, you have your guy on the ball, beat him to that sideline and turn him. And then while he was dribbling to, you know, to the, to the right-hand side, some guys coming in behind him for that trap. And then you rotate guys up and you can get steals. And I know at the high school level, a lot of teams do that. At the, at the middle, you know, and below everybody, a lot of teams do that because again, you usually don't, you know, the teams don't have this super fast point guard that can beat that guy to that spot. Because if teams that do, you can't do it to them. And they're not great passers and two guys on a, on a trap usually can get a steal. And so I think that's a really good one too. You know, a lot of, you know, we even have a team in our league right now who just traps any ball screen. They trap in the backcourt. They trap when you cross half court. They just want to trap all over the floor. And that's the team that won our league. And they're really good. And what's really interesting about playing them is they're not going to let you run your offense. And they might, you might beat their trap a lot and you might get easy buckets sometimes and you might get open three sometimes. But the thing you're not going to do is run your offense because they're not going to let you. They're just not going to let you. They're just going to keep running two guys at the ball and you're going to have to pass it out of a trap. And you can't, you know, go run a UCLA screen and then a ball screen and then roll. And then, you know, it just doesn't work against them because they're just going to keep trapping you and trapping you and trapping you. And they're not going to let you have the time to run your offense. And it's really effective because they practice it, I'm sure, a ton and they're really good at it. And, it's such an interesting concept to think about. Just to, just tell the other team, you can't run what you want to run. And you go, whoa, that's pretty impressive. And 
look, I don't know how he does it as far as like how he teaches it, but they beat everybody. I mean, look, they have really good players, but they're kicking everybody's butt and they're getting tons of steals and they're not letting you run your offense. And it's, it's kind of a cool concept if you can, if you can do it. So I like run and jump. Again, you're taking the team out of the offense they want to run and you got to be able to rotate your guys and catch them at half court. So I like all three at the lower levels, even at the high school level. As you get to good high school teams, I think a run and jump is probably the most effective because teams will be able to break other presses if they have good players. But in general, all presses, I think they're usually... I was thinking about this, and I think press in general is probably like a net even, maybe a, a small net positive as far as steals versus giving up buckets against a decent team. Against a bad team, yeah, it's going to work, but you probably should have beat them anyway, right? Against a really good team, it's probably not going to work very often, and they're probably going to beat you anyway. If it's an average team that you would have done average, you know, if you are very even against a team, you might be a little bit better if you have a good press, and maybe it can squeeze out a couple more wins against average teams. But you're probably not going to beat the first place team just because if you're the fourth place team just because you're pressing. So to me, it's like a, maybe a slight positive. And again, I don't think it should be something you do the whole game unless you're playing against a weak team because they'll figure it out and they'll have they'll start to pick it apart. I think a couple things that are very important. Last thing I'll say on this with the pre- with regard to pressing. First of all, you must be willing to take it off if it's not working. If the team's beating it and they're getting easy buckets consistently and occasionally you get a steal, but they're going bucket, 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 and then you get a steal and you're like, yeah, see, we did it. I think you should take it off. And you've got to be willing to be flexible. You know, Some teams are just going to beat it or, or it's not your day or they just happen to get lucky and they keep picking it apart but they can keep going back to that way of beating it. You got to just say, okay, we're not going to just throw this game away because our press is going to get beaten all night. We're not going to say, yeah, it doesn't matter. We're going to press. You know, I hate when people do that. They say, well, we're going to go down with this no matter what. It's like, or you could pivot and maybe have a chance to win the game, you know? And so that's, I think, I think it's really important that you're willing to change during the course of a game if a team starts to beat it. And maybe you pull it off for, a quarter or a half or whatever, and then maybe try it once and just try to get them real quick. You know, you don't have to run it every possession, but you don't have to throw it away completely. And then the other thing, like I mentioned before, you must practice it a ton. You need to walk through just about every scenario. You know, it's just kind of like how you practice defense. I mean, we sit in the half court on defense over and over every day and if someone misses a rotation or or they say coach what should I do in this exact spot and I'll stop and we'll talk about what we'll do in that exact spot and then we'll say well what are we doing over here in this exact spot and in this exact scenario and that scenario may never come up again but if it does I want these guys to know where they're supposed to be so when you're practicing a zone I mean sorry a press excuse me you need to go over where they need to be in this situation, in that situation, if the ball gets dribbled to here and then reversed, if the ball gets dribbled to here and then passed to the middle, if the ball gets passed over the top, if it goes past, past whatever the scenario is, if they if they offensively line up in a different offense, you know, maybe they bring all four guys up to the free throw line. Well, what are you going to do against that if you're in a zone press? Well, what are you going to do 
if you're in a if you're in a trapping press and they bring all four guys up? What are you going to do if they put four guy three guys down and one guy up? You got to go over all these scenarios so that when this happens and it will happen, these guys are ready for it. And so you can't like the worst pressing teams are teams you can just tell haven't practiced and they're all pointing at each other and saying and looking at the coach and shrugging their shoulders saying, what are we supposed to be doing here? Because they haven't prepared enough for it. So preparation on that and walking through it, you know, two, three, four times a week if you're practicing every day. 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Okay, put your starters in the press. Put your second team with the ball. Have the starters try to beat it. I mean, sorry, have the second team try to beat it. And when they do beat it, Figure out what where it went wrong, and now we adjust. We move this guy just a, a step over so that so that pass isn't there, or a step back so that pass isn't there. And then what you got to do is when when your when your starters steal the ball, have them score, and then they have to scramble and get into the press or run your half court offense and make or miss. Pretend like it went in, so they they scramble into the press because some teams will try to take it out quick and try to beat you, so you can't press. There's so many things to work on. And it's not I'm not I'm not saying that to overwhelm or say don't do a press, but there's a, just a ton to work on, and so it takes time. And it, but when you get it right, it can be very effective. So put in the time, be willing to adjust on the fly, and maybe you have some success with your press. That's it for today. Uh, we do have the Instagram, the help side, Twitter, the help side, YouTube. We have some videos up, and I'm putting up more videos every week. Uh, breaking down plays. So if you want to subscribe, follow, whatever, um, those are the places to find me. And if you have any questions, things you want to talk to me about, or talk, things you want to have me talk about on the podcast, comments on the YouTube videos, please feel free. I like the interaction. We can all help each other become better coaches. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.